It's late at night. As you drive down the dark and desolate road, a light fog is covering the pavement, obscuring the road ahead. Something seems to be walking down the roadway towards you. You stop your car and shine your lights at it. It's a woman, but not any woman. This woman is carrying an axe and wearing a pig's head. Before you can get out of there, she's banging at your door and wants your head. Tonight, we cover the urban legend of the Campbell County's Pig Lady, a requested story by our listeners in Northern Kentucky. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosity's Hometown Haunts podcast. I'm your host, Kat Cloco, and along with me for this exploration of the world fringe of world, the world of fringe history and spooky surroundings are Jen Kohler and Christina Wald. You can stay up to up to date with our show by following us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter and at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. And join our Facebook group, Hometown Haunts. I am sure many of you, especially from Northern Kentucky, are going to share your stories after this episode. And we welcome it. Please, please send us your stories. We love going through them. As my script says, we are dying to hear about your personal encounters with the paranormal and fringe history from your neck of the woods. So send it to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com or join the Facebook group, Hometown Haunts, to share your stories. You can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and can watch our show feed on YouTube. Just find us by searching Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities. Please take a moment to rate and review us on those platforms so other spooky story lovers just like yourself can find us. The link's in the show notes. And Christina, you have some news before we start the show. Yes, I will be at the Women's Art Club, which is in Marimont. They call it the barn. No. Oh. Yes, and it's, I, I think it's a converted barn, actually, but I will be talking about publishing and art and that sort of thing, and it is not open to the public per se, but if you're a member of the Women's Art Club or if you're a friend of mm -hmm. a member, you can get in, and so it should be a good time. It starts at 11. No, oh, nice. That'll be fun. Yes, and I think their juried art show starts, the opening starts at 1 p.m., so. Oh, wow. I look forward to seeing that as well. Yeah. Hmm, be nice. I am not a member, but I wanted I'm to. I'm not either. I, I, I should. I, I've, I've thought about becoming members of that and or the Cincinnati Art Club. It's just time. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if the barn has this, but I know that the Cincinnati Art Club has like open life drawing and that sort of thing mm -hmm. that you can go to if you're a member, mm -hmm. which I know a lot of people really like that and they have shows and mm -hmm. it's a great way to network with other artists. And the women's art club's pretty old too. I think it mm -hmm. started in the 1800s, yeah. possibly, probably because they weren't allowed in the Cincinnati art club. Yeah. I think we talked a, a little bit about it during our show, our episode about the art club. We talked yes. about them, how they kind of grew together and then mm -hmm. eventually women were allowed into the art club. In the, the 80s. In the 80s. <laughs> 1980s, not 1880s. Yes. And um, yeah, it, it's, but yes, the women's art club still is in existence and is a good way of building core art strategies for whatever yes. discipline you're doing. And I know a lot of the Cincinnati area cartoonists 
Some of them are asking where they could get life drawing classes outside of just academia. And this was one of the, not necessarily the women's art club, but the art club Mm -hmm. and manifest were ones that I suggested checking Mm -hmm. out because they do life drawing. And that is core. Even if you're a cartoonist, you need to know how to draw a real human body. So then you know how to stretch it and make it more cartoony looking. So Anyway. Oh yeah, even for cartoons, I get people to photo. Mm-hmm. I use photo reference, like yeah. I mean, yeah. for people like take pictures of, and stuff like that. So I think that it is really important. Manifest is really great. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. And you said it's a little bit haunted too, so you can. It's a little bit experience haunted. a little haunting and well, at either one, <laughs> you can have a ghost experience and draw. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Maybe draw. Would that be what would that be like if you're sketching the ghosts? Maybe we should start sessions like instead of life drawing, it would be death drawing or it would be ghost death drawing. drawings. Yeah, like <laughs> that, that, after that death seems drawings. Like a, yes, after that, life drawings. that needs to become a thing. After life drawings. There we go. Yes. Yes. Well, I do. Like when we went to um, the Anchorage, I did draw the ghosts that we encountered there. And I was trying to draw the ghost um, that was at Manifest in the corner. Very confused man, young guy in a three-piece mm-hmm. suit going, why are you all here? Like, and you said, I'm wondering the same thing. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> why are you there? Why are you cowering in a corner next to a bunch of ceramics? Like, it, it was just because he had, like, his funeral was there was the impression I got. Oh, but, interesting. Yeah, but he just was confused from get-go right at death was just like why am i here like yeah it's like watching an episode of ghosts just happen in front of you but i know this doesn't have to do with the topic but in this i'm on the subject of funeral homes and maybe we should do an episode on on manifest because it's a former funeral home and maybe Mm -hmm. talk about other ones is is it common for spirits to get attached to the funeral home when their funeral's there or is that pretty unusual I will say it's not as common as Hollywood would make it seem. Um, There was the only real haunted funeral home I've ever been to besides Manifest. And that guy was just confused. He didn't Mm -hmm. know what was happening. He followed his family there and then just kind of hung around since easily the 1950s, late 40s, I would say. It's a long time. Yeah. And has just been there since. But... um, the one haunted funeral home that I've been to was super haunted because I had an unclaimed body there on display in Tippecanoe County, Indiana. Whoa. And they named her Lucy, though it was a dude. <laughs> so, um, and they put like, they dressed her up. It was, she, he was just skeletonized by this point. Um, he was kind of brown oxidized bone, um, but they had him articulated and sitting upright in an old coffin and it was an unclaimed body from the early days of Tippecanoe or Lafayette, Indiana. And um, yeah, they had the owner, actually I should say the renter because they lived in the apartment above the funeral home had them just in this coffin dressed up with like fake sunglasses and a boa and one of those really, really obscene not obscene as in there was nothing obscene on it but the color was just it hurt your eyes to look at it it was like citrus color (laughs) um party hat and um when we were there investigating the shower curtain opened on its own whoa in, in a room with no vent and no windows 
in front of myself and of 10 other investigators. And we immediately were trying to figure out how that happened. And we could hear footsteps and stomping. And it was all because this poor man was never claimed by his family and was just used as a display in this renter's room in his, in their living room. So it was haunted because of that. It wasn't because of dead bodies being brought in and prepped or anything. There's Mm -hmm. creepy muckety feelings when you go into especially the old embalming rooms but that also could be they're not exactly the most well ventilated places and spaces in old funeral homes they should be but that doesn't necessarily mean they are and there's this a lot of old chemical smells and kind of claustrophobia is playing a bit it just is super creepy to be in one of those so um and really and i'm talking about an old one that is like pre-1930s so you have um, old equipment and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily newer funeral homes. You can go in and there's absolutely no one hanging about. And it's just like, okay, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think we need to do more ghost hunts. Maybe when I'm back from New Zealand, we need to plan some. I, I was going to suggest, and our listeners can also suggest places, our 100th episode is coming up and we should do something special. Yes. And we are open for suggestions of special things to do. Woohoo! That would so, be really awesome. Yeah. Man stealed out of the question is that or is that too on the nose? Well, we could we could try Mansfield. It would I don't know if it'd be open for us as in I don't know if we can rent a date to go or reserve a date to go visit roughly around our 100th episode, but okay. I mean we can always in, investigate inquire about it um uh, i was or, in the mm-hmm. past they've had their dates for their uh summer i'm sorry uh, their summer um overnight ha- mm-hmm. hunts posted by now yeah so yeah i'll, it, I'll, look, I'll look yeah there's that there's waverly which i've never been to um and and then there's also a whole bunch of local places we can kind of go Look, maybe we can go to Transylvania University. Oh, that would be awesome. We yeah. could contact our friend and see mm-hmm. if we could we could get an insider. Uh, I, I will write her, actually, yeah. and see if so. we can get something going. I mean, that would be super. My goal this year, um, many people have goals, like in Jan, is to see something. Mm. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try. <laughs> we, can, we can also try to go to um, – uh, Camp Chesterfield, which is if you're going to see anything manifest, maybe a place. Mm-hmm. Well, we were planning on that anyway. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, th- it's we'll see. We'll, we'll so we're open to suggestions also from our listeners. And um, yeah, okay. So All on right. to tonight's show. So sources for tonight's show is the Haunted History of Kentucky Facebook page, Wikipedia, Early Settlers in Campbell County, Kentucky by Lindsay McPike and Noble from 1928. And A Brief History of Northern Kentucky by Robert D. Webster, Myths and Legends Podcast, and the Horman Museum in the United Kingdom. Because we're going to go back to England for this episode. Surprisingly, it went fun twists and turns at every corner. So, a few weeks ago, Jed and I were at the Corpse Flower Press booth at Highland Heights Comic Con at Northern Kentucky University. And talking to all the wonderful people who showed up, and thank you for showing up, 
there was one story that we got asked about again and again and again. And both of us, I think, Jen, you would agree. We kind of were like, oh, that's an urban legend we've never heard of before. Yes, I had never heard it. And yeah. I'm super excited. <laughs> yeah. So this was the pig-faced woman. And numerous people would just come up and are like, you know, we have a pig-faced woman that haunts, like, the river side. And I'm like, is is there? I I think I had run across a story once, and, and that was years ago. So both Jen and I had never heard of this, as we just said, and we decided to dedicate an entire episode to the pig-faced woman, also known as Hog Lady, which, <laughs> all right, uh, there, there are many variations of this, and they're going to start with, eh, okay. And then get more gruesome as we go down. But this is an urban legend. So this may be delightfully scary for some. And it, I don't think anyone really, I don't think young listeners wouldn't be abhorrent to this. So anyway, okay, on to version one. So pig lady, when she was born, she was so ugly and grotesque that her father chopped off a pig's head and put it on her. Now she suffers like this for all eternity and tries to steal your head if you go down her road. That is the most, like, simplest version of her story. Version two. Her father was a hog farmer, and one day a hog got ornery and attacked him while out in the pasture. The boar gouged a hole in his neck, killing him. She tried to save her dad but was also attacked and horribly disfigured. She killed the boar and wore its face when traveling into town to get supplies to cover up her disfigured face. She lashes out at people because they laughed at her for being disfigured, and now she haunts the roads she knew so well. That is a classic urban legend. Version 3, Hog Woman. A local woman was mean and nasty to local youths and was quite puritanical with them. One night, while walking down Three Mile, she was struck by a drunken young man and decapitated. Full of rage, she came back to life with a hog's head because when her body was discovered, hogs were eating it. Wherever her ghoulish body rises from the dead, it steals the head of a hog and travels along Three Mile Road for victims after dark. Okay, version four. A young couple was driving down Three Mile winding around the bends above the Licking River when they got into a bad car accident. The young woman's face was ripped off in the accident, and now her ghost looks for the front of her skull around three mile. Before her ghost would appear, a police car with an old-style globe light on top of it will also appear in front of the viewers. All the stories conclude with the warning. If you run out of gas or roll down your windows and turn off all your lights and yell for her, that this old woman with a pig's face will come and appear, maim, kill, and eat you. She wants your head, and she is looking for a head that matches her own body. The routes that she is most likely to haunt are Route 8, 9, 3-Mile Road, 4-Mile Road, or 5-Mile Road in Kentucky. In our case, she haunts 3-Mile Road that runs into Route 9 in Highland Heights in Campbell County, not far from Northern Kentucky University. According some from some Kentuckians that we talked to, this story was often told to them as children. The pig woman or hog lady legends seemed to spring up around the 1950s and 60s from Newport to Highland Heights. Camp Springs, Kentucky also has a version of the legend. Teens from the 1950s through the 1970s would drink beer and go driving up and down three miles screaming hog woman. 
<laughs> so it, it, it's clearly this Kentucky version is just, I'm going to say a teenager's um, dare version where you dare your friends to drive up and down three mile in your inebriated state screaming hog woman and see who comes up to your car. I guarantee you it will be a police officer probably from for noise disturbance, but it depends on how drunk you are. But the amazing thing though, that we discovered about this story is that there are European origins to it and it has connections to Kentucky. So this legend has its origins from a witchy tale that is nearly 400 years old and it started in England, Holland, and France simultaneously in the 1630s. So it, it's kind of amazing. It starts really with the version from Holland and then the English version and the Irish version build upon it. But it's all about witchcraft, which is kind of amazing since the story of our pig-faced woman is not too far away from Alexandria, Kentucky, that has Witch's Hill. So, in its earliest forms, the pig's the woman's pig-likeness appearance as a result of witchcraft. In a Dutch print from 1621, it recalls the story of Jacqueline Jacobs in Amsterdam. A rich noble woman is pregnant, and one day on her daily walk, she runs into a group of beggars. Rudely comparing them to pigs, one of the beggars curses the woman, saying her child will be a girl who is cursed with the face of a pig. After the baby is born with the face of a pig, the parents worry. And as the girl grows up, she has many mannerisms of a pig and the parents worry who would marry her. Mrs. Jacobs or Miss Jacobs ate out of a silver trough reportedly and grunted like a pig to communicate. So that is the Dutch version. However, in 1639, a more magical addition was added once it crossed over into England. So this is from 1639 London and this version of the story which takes the original part and adds on to it, is known as Tannikin Skinker. Sorry, that sounded really like a story. Tannikin Skinker. So imagine the original first story. This is the edition. Once the girl is a teen, the father turns to the aid of a master of magical arts to lift the curse. The mystic says that as long as she remains a virgin, she will retain a pig's head. But if she marries a man who is not a clown, boar, or peasant, she may be cured. The family put a huge dowry on her for 40,000 pounds, and suitors lined up from across the land. But when they got a look at her face, they would run away. Finally, a man from London agreed to marry her. Following her wedding day, the pig-faced woman's new husband is granted the choice of having her appear beautiful to him, but pig-like to others, or pig-like to him and beautiful to others. That makes sense. When her husband tells her that the choice is hers, the enchantment is broken and her pig-like appearance vanishes completely. So it's an interesting story because it gives autonomy back to the woman. It also really reminds me of Shrek. So it, it's it, it, the entire story reminds me of Princess Fiona at, in Shrek. So I'm wondering if this is an inspiration. So there's a number of different woodblock prints. There's a lot of prints from um, early Regency era, 1815. 
um, because the story really took root in England and just grew in England and Ireland. So they were, there's so many prints that are just from the UK, basically. Um, and also France had a version of the story. It's slight, it, it also came around the same time, around the 1630s. But it seemed to die out while the British version, the UK version, just kept going. So by the early 1800s, the story had changed and the whimsical magical elements had evolved to a story that was believed to be factual by those who heard it. This version is far more recognizable to us today. So as reported in late 1814 and early 1815, rumors swept London that a pig-faced woman was living in Marylebone. An, ex an existence was widely reported as fact and numerous alleged portraits of her were published. With a belief in pig-faced women commonplace, unscrupulous showmen exhibited living pig-faced women at fairs. These were not genuine women, however, but shaven bears dressed in women's clothing. This entire thing was so prevalent that Charles Dickens even remarked in 1861 in one of his writings about the belief in pig-faced women in England, writing, In every age, I suppose, there has been a pig-faced lady. So I included some of the uh, prints. Those are from the museum. And uh, I like how instead of saying oink in one of the prints, it looks like the pig is saying ouch, but I believe that's supposed to be oink. Um, and then I also included what a sun bear with extreme mange looks like, which is the closest I can get to uh, what a shaven bear would look like because it is super bad to go purposely shave a bear now. So this is the closest I could find. As time marched on and the scientific study took over the industrial age, the belief in pig-faced women diminished. In 1924, the last significant work about the existence of pig-faced women as real phenomenon was published. Today, however, the legend is nearly forgotten except for this variation in Kentucky. So why Kentucky? Campbell County is named after an Irish immigrant, Colonel John Campbell, who was a revolutionary war soldier, explorer, statesman, and one of the drafters of the Kentucky Constitution. It seems many of the early settlers of Campbell County in all of northern Kentucky were in fact Irish immigrants or former English settlers. So the story of the pig-faced lady would have moved with them from England and Ireland to the United States and then with them to settle on the banks of the Ohio and Licking Rivers, only to be retold for far longer than any other version of the story. So that is the origins of our Campbell County pig-faced woman. Wow, it feels very misogynistic. Oh, it is super misogynistic. And <laughs> I, mean, I was just like, ah, it, it's... It, 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 <laughs> it, it's so bad. It, every... The, the, the skinker, I mean, they even give her a terrible last name just because it's just a terrible story. But that, that one, it's... Wow, there's a lot of, to unpack there. <laughs> it it really does sort of the fear of, I mean, first there's the wedding fears, you'll never get married. And it seems like, you know, there's a lot of double entendre there mm -hmm. saying you won't get a husband if you're not attractive is what it boils down to. And, you know, then they sort of added this veneer of magic to it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, 
And I even um, cleaned up the virgin. The virgin. Oh no. Um, <laughs> we 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 get what you're trying to say. Virgin. <laughs> Yes, I yes. can't say I'm tired. It's 1030 in the morning. <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, the, I cleaned up the version that was written in 1639, which was mm-hmm. the uh, skinker story. Um, it, it gets way more because it was written in five installments from December 4th to December 11th, 1639 in mm-hmm. a just a London I won't call it a tabloid, but in papers. So you can buy pamphlets that would be comical stories or whatnot back in the day. And Mm -hmm. this would have been one of those. And um, it was very popular and really well retold and made its way all across the UK and probably parts further than that, as we've seen with the Kentucky version. And uh, yeah, it's much more descriptive with everything that goes on i just cleaned that up because young Mm -hmm. audiences well one wonders and 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 maybe this was in the more detailed ones and from an anthropological standpoint do you think because it talks about the rich woman who has the baby and then the woman grows up to make pig noises and stuff was this a class thing like trying to discourage women from sleeping from the of, of say rich backgrounds from sleeping with poor people like is the pig thing sort of a class thing where a paternity issue where her husband's not really the father but somebody poor or somebody else yeah that could be there is a lot of there's a lot like there's a lot to unpack Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of different ways we can interpret this story so um excuse me one that's one way another one is kind of a morality story where you don't want to be going around calling other people pigs just because they are um, not as well off as you are mm-hmm. and that you get um oh uh, what's the word um not revenge but uh your cub your comeuppance mm-hmm. for calling people things that they do not deserve to be called that's one way another way to look at the story it's definitely misogynistic you're right on the worry to marry which was a definitely a thing back in that time era all over europe and even parts of the americas you were and we even talked about this with the lucy run cemetery that was the only way women could get out of their neighborhoods in or their villages and maybe improve their lives was to marry up basically so um, this is a warning for basically you need to look attractive to men. So. Well, I mean, women weren't even allowed to have checking accounts till the 70s. Thanks, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> exactly. So it, it's, yeah, like it, there's a lot to unpack. Um, it, it's interesting also how this evolves into a murderous woman here in Kentucky. Excuse me. She reminds me of Bloody Mary. Mm. over here like going mm-hmm. calling out <laughs> yeah it, it's Ugly. a lot like bloody mary <laughs> and um it, it it's it, it's interesting in that horror in horror stories women tend to get their um autonomy back mm-hmm. and this is one of those versions where it, even in the original or the adapted 1639 version she gets her autonomy back and that's what lifts the curse Mm -hmm. 
this is a weird skewing of the story where she never gets her autonomy except for in death. And then she's looking for people to chop up into like and find a new head. It kind of reminds me of Return to Oz. That oh yeah, there, there's a few, there's a few fairy tales where people are chopped up too. If you get that retranslation of the Grim fairy tales, there's yeah. one where a woman chops up people to eat. Yeah, it's children read a lot of stories about people being mutilated in earlier centuries. <laughs> so that's it's, stories it's for um, sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a, a little bit dark for us now, but um. Yeah, it with going back with the horror and the ghosts, it's also I know my anthropological focus was looking at Japanese ghost stories and how women manage to regain their power back by being ghosts, by being vengeful ghosts. This falls completely into that. And where this woman who never got married was abused verbally and physically by people in her town and now because they were such terrible people she has taken the revenge on them by trying to hunt them down on three mile road and she shows up when she is summoned basically mm -hmm. and um and the summoning is usually just stopping in three mile road which why would you be doing that because it's a it's a road that people drive on <laughs> and um you flash your lights or you roll down your windows, which is very simple compared to other methods of summoning spirits at urban legend hotspots. So, um, cause like the witch's hill or witch's tree at Alexandria, you just drive over the bumps and then flash your lights and the witches are supposed to come out of the mm -hmm. ground or from the surrounding area. So it's very much a revenge tale is i think the point I'm trying to make yeah as <laughs> a revenge tale and it it's really be... gruesome like and i i found it interesting that all these retellings just get more and more gruesome as time went on because we were um as a as a society introduced to more and more gruesome slasher films as time wore on so the story evolves in where she's just my favorite is where the pigs are eating her um <laughs> It's I'm like, wow, that is peak late 70s horror film. I was going to say, mm. that's Sexy Beast. Is that that movie? Yeah. My brother has always suggested that you should watch Gandhi and Sexy Beast back to back. <laughs> to, see... <laughs> <laughs> to see the difference in, in uh, the, the actor that started that, how different wow. he could act. Oh, my God. Ben Kingsley was great in both movies. I but know, but very different. Sexy Beast, man, was, was great. <laughs> I know. I, I was thinking. Now, one thing in your, in your when you've been researching this, is there other urban legends that trace back to England and Ireland there, in the area? That not that I've run into. So this is one of the few that is a immigrant story that has managed to stay around for at least two centuries. And I'm sure as we dig further in, we will find more that are even in, just embedded into smaller communities basically because mm -hmm. these are the types of stories that really are reliant on the small community to keep them going mm -hmm. and we only once in a while get them out of the community and then they become really popular so if you're looking at a lot of cryptids the Appalachian cryptids that is kind of the trajectory that we're looking at with the pig face lady where it is a small community story that ironically 
wherever you had Irish or English immigrants back in the day, when I say back in the day, you're looking at the 1730s, <laughs> um, you're going to have a version of the story. And for some reason, just because people didn't move around a lot until really recently, it stayed in this community. And it's the same thing with like the grafted monster, the Jersey devil, like a lot of the, or Snarly Gaster in Maryland. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, my allergies are getting to me. Um, <laughs> but these are all small stories that were community and then just got really popular. So now I am sure we're going to see from Blumhouse Films the pig-faced woman in two years. Oh, probably. probably. You know, it's interesting because they've said that because of media, like accents are going away. In a yes. Lot because people are. And one thing I noticed when I first started dating Troy, you know, because his parents are both from Ashland, was his mom used a lot of sort of British. I, I want to say British, but maybe Irish like she would say i was a saying or i was a going like a uh, lot yeah. of stuff that's very and i don't know if people now say things quite in that way anymore but it was from growing up in rural kentucky yeah there's a lot of that there's also code switching if you're mm -hmm. if you're fam familiar with that phenomenon so people that are in the smaller communities will speak to each other in a more comfortable casual style mm -hmm. which would be closer to those uh accents that you would in other um, fun grammatical bits that mm -hmm. are communal basically everyone has them um, but when they are talking to somebody who's an outsider they're going to code switch they're going to speak more properly or mm -hmm. more like what is standard American English or standard mm -hmm. British English also want to note that on our YouTube stream if you just saw my door open that is not a ghost that is one of my dogs that has opened the door so so Mickey just want did to it? point that. No. Oh yeah, she did get in. <laughs> <laughs> I had Chewy and I had Yeti in here and they're sleeping on the couch and Mickey made herself know made her presence known by bursting through the door like the Kool-Aid man. That's okay. Yeah. We just had a wild cat running up and down the stairs. I don't know what they were doing. I think they're playing with their toy mice. Oh, it's cute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that you're right. Accents are going away and all these little stories that make a small community unique are also disappearing. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a race for anthropologists, especially cultural anthropologists and folklorists to kind of record these stories before they completely disappear. And there may be multiple virgin, vir not virgins, versions. <laughs> My goodness, why am I hooked on that word today? Um, that that's so weird. Will Anyhow. you be sacrificing one later or what? Apparently, <laughs> they make all this rain go away. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> if, anyway, um, yeah, it, it's we're trying to record them and preserve them in all different variations so that we know and can track it later because it won't be available later. And mm -hmm. we're also doing this with languages. You see this a lot. And I know I've talked about this before with a lot of Native American and First Nation languages trying to document how they are spoken so that if they disappear again, we can bring it back and still teach it as a community, basically. So that's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of aligns with those holler stories, too, in Mark Muncy's book. Yeah, it, it that reminded me. <laughs> His book was 
in my mind, along with Shrek, the entire time I was working <laughs> on this story. And just thinking of all those small holler stories that are tucked away in nooks and crannies. Um, also, I discovered that my dog likes to shake in the background. But um, one of the things that we were told, Jen, when we were at Highland Heights, was that Kentucky meant the the word translated to, like, ground of dark and blood or something. Like, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's like a really, I would call it a metal, like, metal band, like, dark, gothy. Really? Dark, dark bloody ground or something dark like that. Dark and bloody ground. Yeah. And uh, the historian that I mentioned, I was reading The Brief History of Northern Kentucky, which I bought the book going, we're going to use this a lot. So I'm going to get a copy of this. Robert D. Webster. And he actually interviewed many, many Native American groups that are home in this area. And contrary to what we were told, no, Native American groups did not abandon this part of Kentucky and called it dark and bloody ground and never showed up. There were so many villages. There were so many Adena and Hopewell and Fort um, um, Fort Ancient villages that are all over the area. And um, there's numerous different groups of indigenous people lived in the area and spoke a bunch of different languages. And every single one of them has a different interpretation of what Kentucky means. So some of oh, them wow. mean, none of them mean dark and bloody ground. One of them means plains or prairie. Another one is, I, I really wish I could bring this up immediately uh, as I was looking at it. Oh man, it's just going to take me too long to find it. But basically none of it means dark and bloody ground. All of it <laughs> means, basically means like prairie or prairie land or lots of game here, stuff like that. <laughs> So, well, oh, according wow. to the Kentucky website, it means land of tomorrow. That was another interpretation. Yeah. Very positive. It was very positive. And I'm like, why isn't this being spread? Why do we have to go yeah. with dark and bloody? Because that people sounds... like the goth. That is yeah. true. People do like they, the goth. They like the grotesque. They, they like the, the they scary tales. Don't want to admit it. There mm. was a reason that, was what were they called? The penny dreadfuls? Mm. Oh, yeah. People love That them. were so popular. Yeah. I mean, how people used to go to crime scenes and they would spectate. I mean, they hung. still do that. Huh? Well, also executions. Yeah. Yes, well, executions. Yeah. People yeah. love the executions back in the day. And you can see yeah, that just with the uh, evolution of the story, how it goes from being just this banal, like, she was born with a big head, wah-wah, to suddenly she is being eaten by boars and then her resurrected ghoul form will come up and kill a pig and put its head on and it's looking for it's like her next victim to wear their head mm -hmm. which screams comic book all over it does it, it does <laughs> so, a little although, texas chainsaw massacre too yeah yeah, yeah. very much I, it, you know and every once in a while there's those viral videos of somebody being chased by a boar that are yes. usually quite funny yes. they are ornery little things or big things aren't they yes they, yes. They they yes and yeah, they will eat anything yeah. I mean, most animals will defend their territory if you, you know, get, if you infringe on it. And, yeah. And so a lot of times, you know, people tend to blame the animals when really you're on their yeah. territory. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Though I will say doing this, uh, there, 
this research for this episode, I did find some other boar stories from oh, southern Kentucky. Are there native boars in Kentucky? I think once upon a time there were. But they're not I, anymore? I don't think so. But mm-hmm. I'm sure somebody's screaming at their radio podcast player right now saying, nah. but um, <laughs> I know there were boar farmers. I mean, this used to be Porkopolis, but uh, in the entire Kentucky region along with Cincinnati. And um, there are, of course, ghost stories with pigs involved in them. But that is for a different day. I taught at Urbana University for a few years. My art classes were in Oak Oak Hall. I was told that a ghost named Rose was there on on occasions. My students and I would hear whistles. But I had a storage room with a door that was held firmly in place by a rug at the bottom. You had to give it a strong pull to open it. I went there to get some supplies, closed it, came back. It was open. Hmm. Maybe I didn't shut it. Got a couple more things out and made sure I shut it hard. Came back to get something else. Yep. It was open again. I always told Rose good night and I'd see her tomorrow. I was also the director of the Miller Art Center, same building. I had to cover a show as a docent, as the docent. I brought my pup Oscar with me for the company. It was late and almost closing. I noticed Oscar walking around and looking up a a staircase. He looked back at me to the staircase and started wagging his tail. I thanked Rose as we left. Oh, that's so cute. She was she was making herself known. Yeah, she was. She wanted to pet the pup the puppy. Pet the puppy. Pet the puppy. <laughs> pet the doggy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's that's that's a nice interactive spirit for your art gallery. Mm. But I like that story. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. Yeah, was she it, just being helpful opening the door for him, maybe? Maybe she thinks it's being helpful. Maybe she just wants the door open for whatever reason. Um, and, and then I also like how the puppy was uh, wagging his tail, looking up yeah. the staircase. Like, maybe it was a response because he always talked to her. Maybe but, it could be that too. Yeah. Cause he always said good morning to her and mm-hmm. goodbye and you know, all that stuff, which is kind of interesting. I yeah. mean, it seems like do ghosts respond to that? Oh yeah. That tends to be from my experience with hauntings uh ghosts will try sorry something is now playing with my microphone um i'm gonna put my phone far away yeah so um a lot of the hauntings that i find that aren't residual hauntings if there's a lot of stuff happening um not necessarily poltergeist activity but it could feel threatening like poltergeist activity um it could be a ghost is trying to kind of say i'm here will you acknowledge me like um, uh, people being poked or cold spots, mm-hmm. hearing voices, um, that that could be um, something trying to get your attention. Knocking on walls, that's another one that could be something trying to get your attention. Dimming lights, um, and particularly when you either say particular phrases or walk into rooms and lights will um, dim or turn off or or turn on when they had clearly been off a lot of uh, traditional not t- traditional but um, investigations especially in the 80s and 90s TVs turning on and off by themselves was really common 
it's not so common anymore, but computers turning on and off has been reported uh, without updates, by the way, I should say, mm-hmm. without being prompted to turn on and off. I, 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 I'll, mm-hmm. I'll clarify. So these are all things that could be attention-seeking behavior by spirits. And you had mentioned when we were at the Anchorage that um, all of those ghosts new people come and investigate them all the time and in many places you you go so it seems like does that make them act a certain way or are they bored with it or do they like to mess with it or is it very individualistic it's it's by individual personality there um some women like the woman who was the sister of the former owner of the anchorage remember when we we want to go into her room you need to acknowledge her by saying hello I did not do that. And I ran into her and boy, oh boy, was she bristly. She was so like, why are you in here? You shouldn't be in here. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And I walk out. And then later the docent's like, oh, but you have to say hello to her. And then things are okay. If you don't acknowledge her, that's when she makes things go haywire. And I'm like, well, it sounds like in this way, if you ignore her, you're going to get more activity. (laughs) Like, and more data points in that way, but is it really nice to do? And mm, that's a good moral question. So anyway, um, it, it's to each their own. It's like Walter that was in that first room. I think his mm-hmm. name was Walter. He was much more like, hey, I'm here. I'm happy you're yeah. here. Welcome. Like, and then mm-hmm. kind of just floated around. And yeah, uh, yeah. He was pretty so chill. Yeah. He was. Um, so it just depends on each ghost. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note. <laughs> anyway, but thank you for joining us on this episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Hometown Haunts podcast. You can follow us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter or at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. And don't forget to share your ghost stories at hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com or our Hometown Haunts Facebook group. So for Christina and Jen and myself, Good night and stay spooky. Bye-bye. Bye.